Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. For so long, Israel had hoped and been promised and believed that a day was coming when somehow, in a way they couldn't imagine, but they believed that it was true, that somehow God was going to act in the world in such a way that there would be prosperity and hope and justice and goodness and security again for their people. The chapter just before Isaiah 11, where the Old Testament reading was today, the end of Isaiah chapter 10, there's this long prophecy that Isaiah gives about the Assyrian Empire and how the Assyrian Empire was actually going to move and in some ways had already begun to move into Judah. And that Judah's resistance to God, Judah's, Judah's constant um, resistance to all that God wanted to be and do for them was going to culminate in this awful empire taking over the land. And then at the end of chapter 10, Isaiah says, but God is essentially going to swing God's axe because the empire of Assyria is pictured in Isaiah as this massive forest. Imagine the great sequoias of the West, these huge trees that dominate the landscape. But this is what Isaiah said. See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the bows with great power. He'll take the top of the trees off. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. So we have this picture in Isaiah 10, as it ends, of the great trees being felled to the ground. And this is, this is Assyria being finally brought low. But somehow in all of this, it's Israel, Judah, being brought low too. And as chapter 10 ends, all you have is this picture of this desolate wasteland. Imagine a scene after one of the great battles in Lord of the Rings when the trees are just all destroyed and there's just embers left over from the fire and the sky is gray and everything seems absolutely dead. And that's where we're left with these great trees decomposing on the ground. And all that's there is death. Have you ever uh, waited way too long to clean out your gutters? <laughs> I did this last year and it stuck in my hand. And then and the way our gutters are, it's, they're not really designed for the way our house is. Um, had to do some retrofitting. But there's a little section where uh, lots of leaves and dirt can get, just get stuck. And I, who knows how long they'd been there. And as I'm pulling it out, it smelled awful because it was just rot. 
That's the image I get from this wasteland. The trees are brought low, everything is dead, and all that you have is the stench of rot. And precisely in that place, Isaiah says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse was the house, the Davidic line that the Old Testament prophets had said, God is going to send someone through this line, some descendant of, of Jesse, and this one is somehow going to be our hope. And Isaiah says that what looks at this moment like just a stump, that promise seems like nothing at all but a dead rotting stump out of that very place, a green shoot. The unlikeliest thing is going to happen. So God tells the people of Judah, they were that disheveled remnant that was left over. So Israel had been a united kingdom, but Israel had already been taken over. And all that was left was this struggling little section known as Judah. And God told them the story wasn't over. That what looked to them like death was not the end. I imagine, in fact, I know, that some of us here feel as though our lives are those decaying stumps. Perhaps good for little more than reminding us of how there used to be something good and beautiful there how there used to be hope, there used to be the promise of flourishing. Advent begins in the dark. Advent begins with a cry out of those dead stumps. Some of us do not know yet that fresh-faced awakening, the sense of possibilities opening and expanding. Rather, what we sense is being dogged by heartbreak. We feel as though our paths are narrowing. We feel as though things are growing darker, not lighter. And Advent welcomes us to step bravely into that very ache, to step into the night. And at the same time, and this is the paradox of Advent, there is immense joy because there is this constant promise that in the very place of death is where life is happening. Have you ever taken a hike through a, through a forest after a, you know, maybe a year or two after a forest fire or after some logging has been done? And it is astounding the kind of life that erupts out of the places of death. They call them nursing trees. The trees that die, and as they die, it is actually their death that yields something new. So Advent is also about joy, but it's a very honest joy. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit tired of cliche joy. I'm tired of the joy that pretends as if we can bypass the pain. Because in my heart, I know it's not actually joy. It's something false. 
But my heart does yearn for joy that is true, for the kind of joy that comes precisely out of the broken and dead places. Advent is a joy that carries us into and through the night. So the fact is that there are some of us, and we are tempted to deny the pain, the ache. We want to skirt right past it and move to the sunshine. And Advent says, no, we can't do that. We have to step into the death. But some of us are tempted to languish in the ache and the pain. We live in a cynical age, and we need to remember the certain hope of Advent, because Advent says the death you see around you, it is so real. And there's something happening here that you do not see. It's called resurrection. It's called the advent of Jesus Christ. It's called the story where dead things come to life. The story where green shoots come out of decaying, rotting stumps. This week, I've been wondering, which of these all souls needs more? Do we need more a reminder to acknowledge the pain, or do we need more a reminder to hold fast to the joy? Well, it's not really my job to say. But spend a moment with God today and ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need? I'll tell you my hunch, but it's only a hunch. I think at All Souls, if we lean one way or the other, we lean away from joy. I think we do a fairly good job most of the time reckoning with the pain. And it is essential to do that because the gospel of Christ takes us into the pain and heals it. And you can't heal something that you deny. But in many ways that's become easier for us to do. Then with fresh faces and a hopeful heart to take that very pain, to acknowledge it, to feel the weight of it, to feel the piercing agony of it, and to hold it and not just toss it away, but hold it and offer it to God and say, you are the adventing one. I believe that you are bringing some kind of fresh life out of this decaying stump that I know see. It's a great thing about the Christian year because it creates space for all of it. And it's never saying, hey, you need to make sure you feel this right now. It's saying, we're going to tell this story. And we're going to tell this story over and over again. And it is the simplest story. And I know some of you might just get sick of hearing it from me. But it's the only story we have. That all of us are buried in death. And that over the long story of our life, in Jesus Christ, we are made alive again. And this isn't just a story about me. This is a story about us. And this isn't just a story about us. It's a story about our city. And this isn't just a story about our city. This is a story about our world this is where we're going, and we're going together. 
But there's some uh, difficult things here, and what we discover is we don't get to the fresh shoot in this world that needs to be remade and in the story of our heart that needs to be remade without going through the death. It's why in Isaiah we're told pretty clearly how God comes, and God comes as a judge. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, but the shoot comes up after the axe has been laid bare. And what kind of fresh life and shoot is this going to be? It's Jesus himself. Jesus is the shoot. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now here's the thing. Most of us want the healing, but we don't want God to really deal with the death. Most of us to some degree, want the kingdom, but we don't really want the king. We can't jump to the Advent hope without reckoning with the Christ who is powerful enough and strong enough to deal with all that is rotten. But this all comes back to what kind of judge are we talking about? A friend of mine who's a pastor in Cincinnati, Mandy Smith, she she put some words to this for me. I heard her um, talking about this text. She said, if the judge that we read in Isaiah is not an angry man with a stern face and a black robe way up high in a court of law hammering a gavel, but if instead the judge is the wise, the wise one who sits at the city gate, the one that you trust, the one that you believe sees things as they truly are. If that's the scriptural picture of a judge, which it is, this is the kind of judge we long for. I'm not pretending that it's easy. I'm not pretending that there won't be pain along the way. But I'm insisting with the scriptures that it's good. Don't we want the kind of judge who has wisdom and understanding? Don't we lo long for the kind of judge who has counsel and then the power to do something with that counsel? What about a God who has true knowledge of the Lord, true knowledge, and delights in the fear of the Lord? And these are terms that if we can't put them together, then we need to keep listening because they absolutely belong together. Delight and reverence for the Lord. 
Don't we long for a judge who doesn't merely go by what he sees and what he hears, but who goes much deeper and knows the truth of things? Don't we long for a judge who judge with, judges with righteousness, who gives equity to the poor? Then, of course, in the psalm that we uh, prayed this morning, there was that, that, that line that he will rescue the poor and crush the oppressor. Look, this is not a small theme in Scripture. It's not. To have the God who rescues is to have the God who also does something about what needs to be rescued. But then there's this, this tricky thing about God slaying the wicked. Maybe that's easy to think about when we think about, well, the wicked, well, that's, yeah, that's that person. That's you. You're the wicked. <laughs> Not me. There's no capacity in the scripture to not allow our own selves and hopes and futures and desires and delights and longings to come under the reign of the judgment of Christ. And here's what I want us to hear, is this is good. It's good if the kind of judge we're talking about is the wise Good one whose very clothes are held up by righteousness and justice, who is long suffering and kind. And here's the power of the gospel revealed to, G revealed to us in Christ at the cross and resurrection is that even killing is a kind of severe mercy. Because this is the God, the God we're talking about is the God who brings fresh shoots out of dead stumps. The very stumps he has failed with his own mighty acts. This is the God who died on a cross for those who killed him. This is not a God of vengeance. This is not a God who is looking for ways to destroy us. This is a God who is looking for every possible way to heal us. And even if that has to take us through the severe mercy of death, then so be it. This is the God who said that we're all going to have to die if God is ever going to make us truly live. This is the God who took death into himself so that death never, ever need be the final word for any person. With God, death is never the final possibility. But that doesn't mean that dying won't hurt. It doesn't mean that it's foolish, that it's not foolish to participate in wickedness, that it's idiotic to refuse the way of life and truth, the way of God. But all of it is not about the death, it's about the life. Because once the axe has been cut low, and once the death has been dealt with, where do you end up? Well, you end up in this amazing future. This is, this is where God is taking us. Even with the death, this is where God is taking us. 
a place where death has no power anymore, where the wolf lives with the lamb and doesn't just like coexist with the lamb, dwells with the lamb. The leopard lays down, in other words, stretches out and gets comfy with the goat. Can you imagine? It's probably a fainting goat. (laughs) The calf, it's a one-year-old bull, so fierce. And the hungry lion and the fatted calf, the one that's just about ready to be eaten. They're all led together. Can you imagine that trio being led together? And they're led by a child. They're led by a child. The cow grazes alongside the bear. The cow grazes green grass right next to a bear. A little baby plays at the cobra's hole. It's all good. A young child sticks her hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. No one will harm and no one will destroy on my holy mountain. And that's why we need the holy mountain. We need the holy other. We need the one who will look sternly into the face of evil and say, absolutely not. We need the one who will do that out here. And we need the one who will do that here. Because I'll be honest with you, as much as I don't like a lot of this, I'll tell you what I think at my wisest moments, which is rare, what I dislike more is the thought of God leaving me to myself. God help me if I'm left to my own devices. What kind of world is this? This is God's world. This is the kind of world that God brings forth out of the desolate, barren death that exists. This is precisely the kind of world that John the Baptist heralds to us this morning. Cries out, prepare for this one. Prepare. It's why in Advent we're told to watch and wait for this world, for this action of God, here and here among us, in my own soul, to come to God and ask for God to bring new life out of this rotten stumps of our heart. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.